I guess the very first question is, why did you wait until the day before the deadline to file? That was a terrific question, and it definitely did not help me in any way, shape, or form so far with this uh, this process. So I've been having people for quite some time since last year, matter of fact, since I started doing my YouTube channel um, regarding the the things that I was you know aware of, aware of and, and saw during my time in law enforcement. I started having a lot of people tell me to run for sheriff over the, these last six or seven months, and it's something that I didn't really uh, take into consideration too much, not something that I put too much thought into, not something that I, I, I wanted to do fully by any means. And it wasn't until last week when I had a massive influx of people sending me uh, messages and photographs of them writing my name in on the ballot underneath Matt Kendall, the current sheriff. And it got up to the point where it was just hundreds of people contacting me on Facebook, on Instagram, on my YouTube channel, uh, expressing their concerns and their frustrations with the uh, Mendocino County Sheriff's Office currently and how they want a change. And um, they felt that I was the right person for the job. So I, that's when I really started to take into consideration and I thought about it and I felt that it was the right thing to do, especially with that many people wanted me to run. And it's always been in my nature to want to help others, which is why I'd gotten into law enforcement to begin with. So uh, last Thursday, I, I and during this whole time with all these people writing my name in on the ballot, I since I've never ran for an elected position, especially sheriff, I didn't know how this process worked. So I just assumed if I had enough people write my name in, I would there would be a, an additional um, special election potentially, and then I would be able to fully campaign since the deadline was uh, the twenty fourth. I'm sorry, since the the uh, yeah since voting begins uh, uh, June seventh or ends. I'm sorry. And uh, I just assumed that that's how that was going to transpire until last Thursday when I received two messages uh, from two different people stating that they had hoped I had registered as a writing candidate. Otherwise, all those votes didn't count. So that Friday morning, I contacted the county assessor's office and got the information that I needed. And I was told that I need to go show up in person to do so. I was on a trip visiting family on the East Coast. I flew in that uh, Monday and drove straight from San Francisco to Starbucks in Ukiah on, on Perkins Street and obtained the signatures necessary in order to be able to register. So it's not ideal by any means. It was uh, definitely an error on my part. There's no excuse for it. Uh, it, it it's definitely gonna hinder me in this election. Um, and I do feel bad for the people that do really want me in, in that position because I did wait so long and had I had not done that, um, would stand, you know, a better chance for sure. So what's your campaign strategy and do you have someone managing your campaign for you? I do not have a campaign manager. <laughs> I, uh, again, I, this is a, a crash course for me very, very quickly. It's only been a few days. I've had um, a lot of awesome people reach out to me, giving me advice on how to do things. I do have people, I don't have an official campaign manager, but I have people assisting me um with mostly people are, are are making their own signs some people are doing you know t-shirts and stuff like that people have uh you know reached out to me and asked if i can come do like meet and greets and stuff like that I, i've set up um, several interviews a few of which i've already done so uh, i'm kind of just doing everything myself for the most part but there are a lot of people that have reached out to me and said if you need help with anything just let me know um, and I'm kind of just trying to figure this process out as I go along, but it, it definitely needs to be expedited due to the massive time constraint. Right. 
And one of the, the, basically the theme of your YouTube channel, Confessions of an Ex-Cop, is corruption and malfeasance in local law enforcement, not just the sheriff's office, but also the Ukiah and Willits Police Departments. And I'm wondering what your strategy would be for getting rid of that, aside from firing specific people, since we know that the law enforcement unions are pretty powerful. Are there culture changes that you could make? What would be your approach to addressing the problems that you identified? Right. So they, they, they are protected by, by unions and their rights. However, there is a problem to every, I'm sorry, there's a solution to every problem when it comes to things like that. I don't want to get into too much detail regarding that, but the major issue is an old school, good old boys mentality that has its generational corruption that has plagued these, uh, specifically the Mendocino County Sheriff's Office for a number of years. Um, I mean, I've talked to old, you know, retired Mendocino County deputies from that worked as cops in the 70s, 80s and 90s that have, you know, the same stories that I have. So it's just been an ongoing thing throughout the decade, throughout the decades. And a lot of it plays into the fact that Mendocino County is so rural um, and there's a different, you know, dynamic and a different, um, you know, type of, of, of person that resides there. It's not like a larger metropolitan area, obviously. So it's, it's a lot of, you know, um, close friends and family and stuff like that. that get into these positions and they start to allow certain people to get away with certain things. Um, it, it's more removed, you know, from, from other, you know, parts of the state, obviously it, it, it's not as, as highly populated. So, uh, my main strategy is to work on, um, dealing with the toxic, negative, corrupt individuals that uh, currently are employed at the Mendocino County Sheriff's Office in my own way. Like I said, I have my own ideas and plans for that because that is the main issue. Uh, most of the guys on, on patrol that I worked with and, and sergeants and stuff like that, they're all of a uh, newer, younger generation for the most part. There's not a whole lot of in between. It's like most guys with, uh, you know, 10 less years on, and then you have the ones that have 20, 25 uh, getting close to retirement. So there's not a whole lot in the middle. Um, but with the newer generation, at least in my experience in Mendocino County, you don't find too much of that, that, that good old boys mentality uh, that, that are wanting to cover up things. And it's also a new, uh, with the new generation, it's, it's, you know, times have changed for law enforcement. We have, uh, you know, body cams now and everyone has a cell phone. There's cameras everywhere. Um, we're, we're held way more accountable than, you know, we were 20 years ago, kind of a thing. So it needs to be a complete restructuring and, um, there needs to be full transparency, especially, you know, the, the community needs to know, um, a lot of these things that are going on with, within the sheriff's office, which they're not fully, they're not aware of currently, um, and accountability needs to be number one. I mean, it, everyone needs to know that that type of uh, behavior will no longer be accepted and it'll be, you know, dealt with appropriately. Well, a really recent story that came out was the story of the, the sheriff's lieutenant's son who was busted for child pornography. And you felt that the investigation took an inordinately long time. And the sheriff said, well, you know, it was out of my hands. It was this other agency that was dealing with it. So how would you have dealt with that differently? So I don't know 100% of the details. I know a great deal about it. But Based on the information that I am aware of, the the, the lieutenant should have, I, I don't care if it was my own brother, like if something like that was brought to my attention, I would, that lieutenant or person, employee, whatever, would be placed off of work immediately. 
I would say, I need your guns. I need your patrol car. You are to go home and you have to remain there during these certain days. It's like work hours, essentially when you're an IA. Um, and I would be personally making calls to the appropriate people in order to get that expedited and figured out immediately, because I wouldn't want somebody employed underneath me that was potentially involved in something like that. And that didn't get done. This lieutenant got to keep working. In fact, he was promoted during the, the investigation. His son was allowed to apply and go through um, the process up until a certain point when the investigation was still going on. Wait, he applied so to the sheriff's department? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, you know, according to Matt Kendall in a, uh, you can call it an interview that he did with uh, Mendo, Matt LaFever with Mendo Fever, um, you know, he, he he basically said that the lieutenant was cleared very quickly. I'm not sure how they did that. And, and if they cleared him so quickly, why did it take two and a half years to investigate the son? Um, but yeah, during that entire process, the lieutenant was promoted and then the son, um, yes. Yeah, so he was allowed to apply with the sheriff's office. He did the interview. He um, went all the way to get, uh, uh, sorry, he applied to the interview and then went into backgrounds. He ended up not going through at a certain point. I don't know the reason why he was disqualified. I'm assuming it had something to do with this. But the fact that he was even allowed to get to that point is absolutely ridiculous. So I think all the way around, it was handled very, very poorly. Um, Matt Kendall said in that interview also that he's friends with that lieutenant at the very end of it. So in my opinion, that that says a lot about how that was handled. But when it comes to something like that, like I have a three-year-old daughter and um, there's there's no there's no reason there's no excuse. Um, Again, I don't I don't care who that person would be, but uh, that, that was potentially watching something like that. But it, it, he did say also, yes, that it, it was out of his hands. And that is, that's true. And that is, um, you know, how that should be handled. You're not going to investigate one of your own necessarily, but you do have the power to put them off until that agency concludes their investigation. And he said he contacted them to check the status. I, I don't believe that. And I've never once heard of a child pornography case to, taking two and a half years. And I've before I even did my YouTube video on the initial ch- uh, case last year, I talked to multiple detectives uh, that had been doing that for 10, 15, 20 plus years, a lot of old retired people. And I've asked them like, hey, have you ever heard of a case this simple taking so long? Absolutely not. It, it's supposed to be done very, very quickly, um, you know, like a month or less and uh, maybe two. Um, and there was a lot of excuses as to why it took so long. Um, but if I was elected, that, that all of that would stop. There, there, there'd be nothing even remotely close to something like that that would be allowed. Right. Do you think that, I mean, obviously the sheriff's department would, like you said, right. would not have been able to investigate its own. But do you think that Mendocino County needs more ability to investigate high-tech crimes? I mean, child porn's not super high-tech crime, but, you know, crimes that involve computers and fraud and... Um, people making use of uh, the technological opportunities for crime. Absolutely. Absolutely. It'd be phenomenal if we'd be able to handle those in-house. Um, but detectives at the Mendocino County Sheriff's Office handle child pornography cases all the time. And if there's a technical issue or, or something technically related that they're having a problem with, they usually reach out to one of the DA investigators you know, down in Ukiah that have a bit more experience and are usually able to help them. Um, the DA's office and their investigators wouldn't touch this case either. Uh, and I, I don't know if it was because those types of capabilities were out of their hands, then that's totally a possibility. But I, what you said, yes, I do believe that that would be extremely beneficial because then maybe if somebody like at a local level 
I'm sorry, uh, yeah, local to Mendocino County would be able to, to look into this, then maybe we wouldn't have to outsource so far to another agency, then maybe, um, you know, it, something like this wouldn't take two and a half years to be able to figure out. Right. And um, one of the things that you've spoken about is your willingness to um, to have the sheriff's office be subjected to a full independent audit. But I'm wondering if you have any ideas for how to make the sheriff's office operate closer to within its budget, because every year it's about, you know, 1.4 to 1.8 million dollars over budget. And we hear that it's because, you know, the department's understaffed and we have so many unpredictable things happen, like fires and crimes in the middle of the night and things. Do you have any ideas for operating more closely within the budget? Right. So, yeah, a lot of that does come down to overtime spent, and it's it's been problematic uh, the, the, all the years that I spent working as a deputy with the sheriff's office. It was always a problem. Um, it got to a point where it's, you know, like they're not wanting us to do overtime. So as a as a cop, you're going to have overtime no matter what. Shifts are going to get extended. You're going to get called in early. Natural disasters, obviously fires in California are a huge, huge issue, and they happen every single year, unfortunately. Um, and with that, it's kind of all hands on deck. So you're going to run into overtime with that. However, if you have adequate staffing, proper staffing, um, you're going to minimize a lot of those overtime issues. You're not going to have to pay people time and a half. You know, we were constantly working six, seven days a week, 16 hour days because we had no bodies. And I think that if you put more attention and effort into, um, not just keeping the guys that you have there because a lot of people want to quit and people still are quitting due to, you know, the, they don't like it, um, put more effort into recruitment and getting people to apply and, uh, and, and work there. You're going to get rid of a lot of those overtime problems and, and yes, stuff does come up and, and maybe, um, I, I don't know. I haven't personally seen the budget and I haven't seen how much money goes into what, um, but I think that that could definitely, um, at least help with a lot with some of those issues. Do you have any insights into how to recruit and retain and recruit and retain people? It seems like that's a huge issue across so many sectors because of so many sociological factors. Right. Uh, I do. I, I was part of recruitment for a very short period of time at the at the sheriff's office. Um, I was picked specifically to go to academies to, you know, talk to people about coming to work for the sheriff's office. So I had some ideas and they, the administration didn't listen to me. So if I'm elected as sheriff, I personally want to go to as many academies as possible. I don't want to limit it just to College of the Redwoods and Santa Rosa. We need to expand, not just in the state of California, but to other states as well. There's a lot of um, good, solid cops that have been leaving in the last like year or two, uh, states like Washington, Oregon. Um, you know, due to various reasons and in other places as well. So I think that we need to branch out and, and, and look at um, other places because so far it's, it's been very minimal, their efforts in recruitment and they are localized more than anything. They're not really traveling long distances to go to other places, speak to people in other communities, go to schools or anything like that. Um, so that is something that uh, I'm, I, I want to look into. I, I've already had people multiple people reach out to me without me even doing anything. People that work for local law enforcement agencies, also guys that want to lateral over from agencies um, in other counties in California, guys that I know that said, if I am elected, they want to come immediately work 
for me or guy I've had guys that aren't in law enforcement at all, but that I know I've known them for years and they're good solid people also that want to apply as a brand new um, deputy in training also. Um, so that I do know that there, there is interest out there in, in still being a cop. A lot of, you know, the administration at the sheriff's office likes to fall back on the, on their excuses with nobody wants to be a cop anymore um, due to everything going on in the world. And it's really hard to, to get new guys to get in there. Yes, that is, a, it, it is a issue. Um, but I think that if you have a good strategy and you put forth the necessary effort that, um, you know, recruitment isn't really all that difficult when, when you get down to it. And I know that another thing we hear a lot about when applying for money is that you need a specialized grant writer in order to take advantage of some of the opportunities at the state. And um, recently during budget workshops, there was talk about using um, these one-time American Rescue Plan Act funds to buy vehicles for the sheriff's office and to um, offer recruitment bonuses to people who either want to come in new or do a lateral transfer from another agency. And um, it does seem like there are grants available for rural law enforcement agencies. And I'm wondering if you have any ideas for how to tap um, state and federal government money, especially with, you know, close to $100 billion surplus at the state level. Um, do you have any ideas for getting someone on board who is who is um, savvy about with about getting money out of the state and the federal government so that the sheriff's department doesn't have to draw so heavily on the general fund. Right. Uh, I do. And, and that just, it goes along with what I said in terms of the recruitment, putting in the necessary effort, talking to the to the, the right people about that and, and trying to um, preach your case and, and see what you can get done. I do know that um, to go along with the recruitment aspect, a lot of agencies are doing that. A lot of agencies are offering sizable bonuses uh, throughout the entire state of California. Well, not just California, other states as well, in order to draw in recruits. And I know, um, I don't know if Matt Kendall, I believe he just recently uh, tried to do something like that. And I don't know where the funds are getting pulled from exactly on his end, if it's if it's local. or it's American if it's, Rescue uh, Plan Act. Okay, so that, yeah, okay, so yeah. So, uh, um, so yeah, I, I, I think that we any and all opportunities should be explored um, and as much funds should be secured as possible. You know what I mean? Um, in order to give um, some sort of incentive for, for people to to want to come in because we have um, competition because staffing is low in not just the Mendocino County Sheriff's Office across the entire state of California. And when you're, um, you know, going out to recruit, it, it, it can be challenging and problematic when you have another agency that's like, I'll offer you, you know, $10,000 after you make it off of FTO or probation if you come over here, but, you know, you're offering five or you're not offering anything. Right. Are bonuses really a good long-term strategy or is it just, you know, you give somebody $20,000 and you say, okay, well, as soon as you're, you know, done with your, your initial training and, and probation, I mean, if somebody was just drawn by a few thousand dollars, couldn't they just as easily be, be lured away? Absolutely. Um, but, you know, it, it's kind of a double-edged sword because then you potentially lose out on good candidates because they, they don't want to they don't want to apply to your agency because you're not offering that whatsoever. But the other 20 plus agencies in the state of California are. 
You know what I mean? So do I think that it's something that we should have to implement? No, I think that people should just want to be cops and the money is good. I made decent money as a deputy in Mendocino County. Um, and that should be what you're passionate about. But then again, like you have, you, you're going to have those sorts of those issues, um, with the competition. So unfortunately, yeah. Should, is it a long, a good long-term solution? No. Is it money that is potentially wasted that could go to better things as opposed to just trying to draw people in just to, you know, have boots on the ground? Yeah. So, um, it, it's just kind of one of those things. Yeah. Um, so you, you touched on being a former deputy here and, um, you know, of course, looking at some of the comments and in discussions about your work, there's always someone who says, oh, Trent James is just a disgruntled former employee. So what's your response to that? It makes me laugh every time I hear it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so and I, I've addressed this in multiple videos because I've gotten that a lot. You know, I've gotten that a lot over the months. Um, and... <sighs> I've explained myself so many times. I just got, I got kind of tired of it, but people are at the end of the day, people either like me or they don't like me. And it, it's quite frankly, that's, that's everyone's right. That's their opinion. And most of these people, I'm not going to be able to change their mind no matter what they say. So no matter what I say, they're going to think that I'm a disgruntled employee regardless. Um, in actuality, that was never the case. I felt amazing amazing when I was no longer employed as a cop in Mendocino County with either the Mendocino County Sheriff's Office or the World's Police Department. It was a shock um, and a bit of uh, an issue for sure because I had to, you know, get another job <laughs> to, to, to pay for bills and things like that. But um, at the end of the day, I, I, I reflected and I thought and um, I felt like a huge weight had been lifted off my shoulders. And that's when I just started, decided to do my YouTube channel and it wasn't the fact that uh, I was disgruntled. I felt that I should um, enlighten the community and let everybody know like, hey, this is actually what my experience was. This is how these are the individuals that are currently in charge at these agencies. This is what they're about. This is what they're like. And it was more like um, serving my community still, but without being a cop. You know what I mean? And I just wanted to let people know that that's what these guys were like, because I felt that it was a disservice. It was just not just a disservice to the community, but also to my friends that still had to work as cops at these agencies that were miserable. Um, they wanted to quit, but they can't because of their family, you know, financial obligations and stuff like that. So I, I was trying to help out everybody in that situation. So uh, yeah, to answer your question, it, it's comical to me, um, but it, by no means am, am, was I disgruntled in, in one, even a little bit. Well, can you, um, I know that you've gone, this might be another boring question, but can you go over a little bit of your work as a cop in Mendocino County and um, how it started and how it ended? Sure. So I went to um, Sonoma State University, got a bachelor's degree in criminal justice. And then right, that's around the time I decided I wanted to get law enforcement. I put myself through the Santa Rosa Police Academy while I was in there. I got hired as an adult probation officer uh, right before I graduated the police academy um, in Ukiah. So I was an adult PO for a short period of time uh, before being recruited as a deputy to the sheriff's office. And I spent the vast majority of my time working in Covalo as a deputy. Um, I was a resident deputy out there. So that means that I, I lived out there for a while um, and I was the only law enforcement presence in that town. So I, I did basically everything. Um, I was a one-stop shop. 
you know, my nearest backup was, you know, over an hour away in Willet. So I was doing, um, I was doing everything. I was, I was going, dealing with all the school issues. I was, I was going to all the businesses. I, it was a, a lot, a lot of community policing. Um, and during that time, I also became a canine handler, which I did for approximately three years. So I had a dog, uh, his name was Hank. And, um, during my time in Covalo, I, I also received deputy of the year in 2018 and, um, toward the end of my time at the sheriff's office, I, I became less and less happy uh, working there. It wasn't anything to do with the community or the, the area that I was working. It was more or less my frustrations with the administration, how we were being treated. And I was definitely not the only one feeling that way. Um, it was a lot of hypocrisy. It was a lot of like, you guys have to do this, but we don't. Um, uh, and, you know, we were being lied to by, by our lieutenants and stuff like that. And it, it was just... Um, not a fun place for me anymore. And I didn't like the fact that, uh, the upper command staff was treating us so harshly and poorly, um, and being hypocritical with a lot of things that we would do when I knew all the things that I knew about those guys. That's kind of how it led into that as well. So I made the decision to, to leave and I, uh, was recruited by my friend at the time, uh, Derek Hendry, who was a lieutenant at the Wills Police Department, he recruited me as a sergeant. I went over there as a sergeant for a very short period of time. I brought my dog with me as well. The city purchased him. And um, that was very, very short-lived. While I was there, I I didn't like it. They they had a quota. They had, you know, ticket quota and stuff like that. We were expected to go out and basically harass members of the community for very, very minor things, in my personal opinion. Um, which I was not a fan of or a believer in because of my community policing model that I was, I was so accustomed to in Covalo. And that's how you can't, in a small town, you can't just be hammering people, to use my old lieutenant's words, nonstop um, with minor stuff and think that you're going to have the support of the community or the trust of the community. It's, it's not a good way to do business, especially when you're doing those things because you have to meet a certain ticket number, you know, a certain amount of tickets for the month or whatever the case is. So there was a lot of things that they wanted us to do that I did not agree with. And um, I didn't like that, that style of policing because I was so used to, to doing it a different way. Um, I tried to, uh, I, I decided to go back to the sheriff's office. Now the sheriff's office was also horrible. However, it was slightly less horrible than Willits Police Department. So I chose the lesser of two evils because my plan was to go, just go back out to Covalo where everybody left me alone and I wouldn't have to see anybody anyway. Um, the sheriff's office uh, declined to take me back, not because I'd done anything wrong, but because I was very vocal and I spoke my opinion. Um, I wasn't afraid to, to tell them what I thought about how poorly of a job that they were doing, even though I was providing them solutions to those issues while I was still employed there. So they decided they didn't want to take me back because, you know, uh, I was toxic or however they wanted to put it. Um, and then my lieutenant at the Wills Police Department found out that I had been trying to go back to the sheriff's office. He stopped talking to me for two weeks and then he figured out a way to fire me, which wasn't very difficult because I was a probationary employee. So what him and the chief did was created a, a list of like four or five things that I had done, which they, it wasn't like a policy violation or law violation. It was like, I still have the letter to the memo they gave me too. It's, it's pretty funny, but it's like you failed to walk your dog in downtown Willits when asked to do so. You failed to complete a FEMA certification in a timely manner, even though you did it. You didn't talk to your subordinates enough. You know, it was like stuff like that. 
So uh, I was let go from that position and that pretty much ended my law enforcement career, you know, up until this point. What years were those? Uh, total is like 2000, uh, started with the county in 2015 and then I was let go Willits PD 2000, late uh, last year, okay. 2021, it's like seven years. Okay. What are you doing for work now and where do you live? So I have two different residences, and this is a hot topic as well. I've been asked this a lot. Yep. <laughs> yeah. You knew it was coming. <laughs> I did. Yeah, yeah, I did. So, yeah. Uh, and a lot of people think I live in Virginia. It's it's very, very funny. I know Matt LaFever just did that article, you, you can call it that, um, you know, insinuating that I live in Virginia with my parents because I had my mail forwarded there. He did some research. And um, so what happened was before I sold my home, uh, so before I was fired in Willits, I, I, I put my house up for, for sale in, in Brook Trails because I was just done even before I got to that point. So before I sold my home, I had all my mail forwarded to my parents' house in Virginia because it was the safe, logical choice to make. And I, I still had to move and sell my house. And that was the only place I had it to go. So once my home sold, I moved to Florida for a period of time with my girlfriend. Um, that didn't work out. And then um, I came back to Ukiah for a while. And I uh, rent a room from one of my buddies who uh, lives on uh, Knob Hill, Regina Heights. And then while I was there, I had some, I was doing PI stuff. So I'm a licensed private investigator in the state of California. So I was working for a company out of the North Bay area, which I still am. And then I had another opportunity with very lucrative to do private investigative stuff in the state of Texas. So I'm, I also secured housing in Texas as well. Um, and I'm a licensed PI here. So that's basically what I've been doing. And on the side also, I do um, like online personal training, you know, fitness type stuff. So currently I have two separate places that I reside. I go back and forth between the two. I have a daughter, three-year-old daughter still, like I said, and she resides in Lake County with her mom. So I go back, you know, for, for that as for her as well. Um, and that's kind of where I'm at. So what does a private investigator do? I know that they're, you know, different specialties like insurance companies or you know lawyers will will hire people and then there's the kind of the sleazy movie version where you catch couples cheating or something so what, what do you do you basically just hit the nail on the head okay. <laughs> it's, it's uh, yeah it's, it's it's very very boring it's very boring but uh, like i stated it's it's for some reason it's very lucrative uh, you have the, yeah, you have the stuff where you're, you know, you're, you're following people, some infidelity stuff. It's a lot of workers comp stuff, people through insurance companies, um, attorneys hire you for various criminal cases, civil cases, uh, background checks. Um, it's a lot of surveillance, you know, watching people and stuff like that. It, it, it's a lot of retired law enforcement get into it, uh, because it's very easy. It, it's not, you're not running around chasing people down or anything like that. And it's kind of low key, but it pays well. All right. Well, I think, let's see. Um, are you related to Duncan James? No, poor Brad. Uh, okay. Yeah. It's a really common name. <laughs> Somebody was like, um, I was like, I'm sure he's Duncan James son. But then he said, your parents were in Virginia. And I was like, James is James, there are a lot no. of James in the world. Uh, no, I, I, the only family I had in, um, so I grew up in Ukiah. I was there like my whole, my whole life pretty much. So uh, my dad is, was in the military. So I think when I was 18 or 19, my parents and my sister moved to Virginia. That's why they're there. Um, but they were my only, there's no additional Jameses that I'm related to. Okay. 
So, um, of course, um, you can't speak for any plans that the incumbent sheriff has, but um, do you know if there's any possibility of um, events or debates or, or forums where the two of you could present your points of view at the same time? <laughs> uh, I don't. I don't. I, I have places that I'm going to be going to myself to introduce myself to the public. A lot of people don't know who I am and answer questions and talk about my platform. In terms of a debate, it's been brought up by a couple of people uh, here and there, um, but I, I personally don't know. I haven't heard of anything official. Um, it's something I'd be very open to do, um, even given the, you know, the less than two weeks we have to do so. Yeah. But I, I don't. I, there's nothing on the books or anything. Okay, and I I feel like I covered some of the the uh, planks of the platform, um, corruption and malfeasance, and um, what are what did I leave out in terms of the things that are priorities for you? Basically, you know, just transparency, accountability. Um, my just to I want to reconnect with the public. I mean, I this is something that Mendo Fever got wrong as well. So. I was very, I felt very fortunate when I was a cop in Mendocino County because they're, they're all, you're always going to have the cop haters, right? But overall, the public is very accepting of law enforcement, at least in my experience in, in Mendocino County, which is something I really liked. But I feel that we could do a better job with connecting with the community on a more personal level. Not enough cops do it. Not enough people get out of their cars and, and, and talk to people in the public. Um, and that just enforces that trust and enforces, um, you know, bridges that gap and gets rid of that us versus them mentality for the ones that aren't sure about us or the ones that don't like us. And it just helps us make the community a better, safer place and helps us get to the bottom of a lot of these issues that would, you know, otherwise go um, unsolved or unnoticed or whatever. Um, so that's another big, big emphasis for me and something that I stand behind because I did it for so many years. I'm a huge proponent of the community policing. So that's something that we need to get back to doing big time. We need to get back to the basics and start doing that stuff again. Um, and then, like we talked about already, I want to focus on recruitment and um, fixing the issues within the administration and the sheriff's office to uh, retain the people that are still there.